Hello, and welcome to the brand new Particular Baptist Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham, um, and we're excited to uh, begin this new podcast and dive into different topics, um, reform topics, biblical topics. Um, today, we're going to be uh, uh, talking about a fairly deep topic. Hopefully, it won't be uh, going off into too many tangents, but uh, we're going to this is kind of the nature of reformed people who like to talk about deep theological truths. Um, so we're going to start off with that today. Um, and we're excited to, uh, to start this podcast. Um, so today we're going to be talking about um, uh, an article by a man named Leighton Flowers. Leighton Flowers, if you don't know who he is, um, he is the director of evangelism and apologetics for Texas Baptist. Um, I believe he promotes himself as being uh, in Arminian, at least to some extent. Uh, he's very outspoken against Calvinism. Um, he tends to put out uh, many videos against Calvinism, criticizing um, the Calvinistic theology, Calvinist uh, brothers. Um, he's debated James White, I believe that was back in 2009. Um, so he's, he's quite outspoken, and he, and he seems to uh, discuss that topic a lot. Um, so he put out an article recently um, this article can be found at um, his Layton's website, soteriology101.com, I believe it is. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but I believe that's where it is. Yeah. Um, and the article is titled, um, If Calvinism is True, Why Evangelize? Or at least that's the essence of the article. Um, and we're going to be discussing that um, today in some depth. And we believe this to be an important topic, especially since this really attacks um, the sovereignty of God um, and really um, it goes somewhat to the heart of the Christian message in terms of is man the one who um, is responsible ultimately in terms of salvation and evangelism in saving the lost, or, or is God ultimately the mover and the shaker behind that? So we're going to talk about that today. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to my, uh, my co-host, Sean, who's going to kind of give us an overview of the article and, and the topic that we'll be uh, discussing today. Sean? Yeah, thank you. Uh, before I begin, I do want to offer what I think might be one correction. I don't know that Light, uh, Leighton would like being called an Arminian. I know he likes being called oh, okay. a provisionist. And Arminians technically don't believe in uh, any type of uh, Perseverance of the Saints, or once saved, always saved, and uh, Leighton being a Southern Baptist does, I believe, uh, hold to once saved, always saved. But regardless, um, yes, I will start by uh, summarizing the article. Um, I'm going to try to make this an objective summary uh, of what was said, even if I don't disagree or don't think Dr. Flowers accurately re represented the Calvinistic perspective. I'm still going to try to present what he said without commentary. Uh, so diving in, uh, Leighton Flowers starts off by acknowledging the fact that many Calvinists are indeed evangelistic. Uh, despite this, he does feel it's logically inconsistent for them to do so and presents his core objection. If God is unchangeably determined who will and won't be saved, then why evangelize the lost? He addresses two Calvinist responses to this objection. The first response is that God has told us to. This doesn't satisfy Dr. Flowers as he thinks the primary basis for our desire to evangelize is because we should love the lost, not because of a command. 
The second response is that in Calvinism, God ordains the ends as well as the means. Dr. Flowers asserts that this only deepens the fatalism rather than avoiding hyper-Calvinism. If we decide not to evangelize, doesn't that mean we weren't ordained to do so and the elect will be saved by some other means? Additionally, that would mean that God is ultimately responsible for that person not believing, not us. This gives us an excuse as to why we didn't evangelize as God didn't ordain it. Finally, Dr. Flowers ends his post by saying that because the Bible says the, that the apostles tried to persuade men, we should do the same rather than pro proclaiming the gospel and leaving it up to God. Um, uh, and with that, would you like to uh, start off with some of your comments there, Dan? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and thanks for pointing that out about Dr. Flowers. Um, I think part, part of the problem is, is he kind of, I guess he wouldn't count himself as really a classical Arminian because, for instance, he denies total depravity, um, while classical Arminians did hold to total depravity. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think there's um, there's some nuances there in what he believes, but uh, thanks for pointing that out. Um, but yeah, especially what you say here in Ears First Paragraphs, he says, quote, uh, first, many Calvinists will answer this question by simply saying, because God told us to, but should law be the motivation for evangelistic efforts or should we be motivated by that which motivated Christ to die in the first place, love? And he quotes Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he quotes John three sixteen, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this, what I think this does is it really pushes, um, it really pushes uh, this to be salvation to be more about us than it is about God. It's really making it more man-centered. If Christ came just for the love of the people, that he's dying for, then, you know, that, that throws out any notion of uh, glory to God for, for, um, for dying for our sins or really obedience um, at all from Christ's perspective. I mean, Christ didn't come to just die because he loved us. Well, that certainly is an aspect of it. Christ came to do his father's will. He made this very clear that his meat and his drink was to do the will of the father, um, that was in heaven. It wasn't just uh, because of um, some pity that he had on us necessarily or, or out of love for his people only. Um, so I, I think that's, he, he's creating, I, I think, a false dichotomy here. It's either love or it's law rather than have, we would confess that it's both love and law yes. that Christ came to die. Exactly. Yeah. What uh, comes to mind for me is uh, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. Like right. keeping keeping the commandments is a result of love for God. You you love God for who He is, so you want to obey Him. Um. So when we go out and evangelize, um, in a sense, uh, we are doing it because we love God. Uh, we are also doing it for love for our fellow man as well. But even that um, is demonstrated by keeping commandments towards them like we love them and uh we're obeying god in trying to reach them right right and we we see that i i think most clearly in the great commission in matthew uh, at the end of matthew's gospel um where the church is commanded 
to go. He doesn't say do it out of love. While we should love our neighbors and, and seek their salvation, um, it, it's ultimately because we love God. Um, he's, he's, he's commanded his church to go and tell other people about Christ. And so we should therefore um, do so not only of love for our neighbor, but out of duty. Um, another passage that we see, John six thirty eight, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. But Jesus wasn't coming to do what he wanted to do. He wasn't coming on a rogue mission um, outside of his father. It, everything he did, whether it was walking to one town to preach the gospel or, or refusing to go to a town to preach the gospel or healing one person as opposed to another, that was all his father's will. He was doing exactly what his father had told him to do, which included dying on the cross, being uh, buried and rising again for our justification. Um, so it, it's, I, I'm, I, I guess I, I wish that um, Leighton would have been a little bit more fair in that, in that aspect. Um, we, we don't teach it's just about law. We, we teach that it's both, but it's not just about love. Uh, it's a mixture of, of both those principles. Yes. I don't think it fundamentally um, changes anything, even if it were somehow to be about love and not law. You're still doing it for a reason. Um, Leighton didn't, his objection that we shouldn't do it because of law doesn't fundamentally change. Like, okay, well, there is a reason then. It's, it's love, I guess, that we would go out. But that doesn't change the fact that we, we Calvinists can still love our neighbor and therefore go out and try to help them. Like, that hasn't fundamentally refuted the core of the argument that uh, we're, still, we're still doing it for a reason. Um, he just doesn't agree with the particulars of we, we're doing it because we're commanded. Right. It, and I think this is kind of the, an area where, you know, Leighton says at the beginning of the article, he says, when I was a five-point Calvinist, I was also evangelistic. So he puts himself in the, in the same category as, as we are in the sense that we hold to Calvinism and he's saying that I was in that camp too, but he doesn't seem to understand it or, or at least um, I don't know if he's doing it deliberately. I don't want to accuse him of something I don't have evidence for necessarily, but um, he, at the very least, I would say he probably doesn't understand it as well as he thinks he does. Mm. Um, and when you put yourself out there saying, well, I was a five point Calvinist, you're going to be held to a different standard. Um, than yeah, someone yeah. who's just coming at it, not knowing, never heard, hearing of these things before and, and struggling with it. Um, but yeah. Um, and then he, he met, he goes to Romans nine, um, nine, uh, chapter nine, one through three. So Paul expresses himself, expresses the self-sacrificial heart of Christ when he wishes himself a curse for the sake of his fellow countrymen. And he says, Paul is clearly motivated by love, not merely by some obligation of the law again he's putting an overemphasis on love um, rather than balancing the two out um and certainly paul had love he he did say I'd, I'd rather be accursed than and see my jewish brothers come to christ um but we also know that paul was commanded he was following the great commission we, we believe that scripture is unified that paul wasn't doing something over in one area that another part of scripture that uh that commands the church to do one thing he he just you know, separating himself from that. Um, Paul was also carrying out the Great Commission um, as commanded by his Lord. Um, so again, we see that we see that balance there. 
Um, um, go, yeah, go ahead. No. I go was going to, I was going to say, uh, did you have anything more about the section on love uh, or did you want to move on to the second objection? Because I do have more to say about love, but I think it'll be more in the context of the second objection. No, we can move on. Okay. Um, so the point, uh, what I wanted to bring out about um, Leighton's second objection about um, means is essentially regardless of what you think, the Bible does still um, teach that yes, um, people are elect and means are to be used and you, you can't ignore them. And I, I have two examples for this essentially. Um, the first one being in the, the person of Christ himself. Um, as, as we read in Acts 4, 27 and 28, uh, this is the uh, apostles speaking. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So God has determined an event, and it's specifically the death of his son. Um, and it seems to me that Leighton's, obje obje excuse me, Leighton's objection would result in um, the son uh, might have the ability to say, well, it's, it's predetermined, so I don't need to go to Jerusalem. I don't need to step off my throne in heaven and go to earth, right? Because it's predetermined. And we would, we would look at that and be like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense because the means you going to Jerusalem is the means by which this will, would all be accomplished. Just because an event is predetermined doesn't mean all of a sudden we, we can ignore the means by which um, that event is going to happen. Um, and I think this is a little bit clearer even in my second, um, second uh, text I want to look at. This is Acts 27, starting at verse 21. Uh, and this is in the context of uh, Paul is uh, currently under guard going to uh, Caesar because he has appealed to Caesar and the ship he's on has uh, run into a storm and the crew thinks they're going to die essentially. So picking up in verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. So this is, this is a very clear text, right? Um, Paul has just revealed that God has told him through an angel that um, all these people will be saved, saved physically. Uh, which is a great parallel for what we're talking about in terms of spiritual salvation. Um, so at this point, we're good, right? Paul, um, following Leighton's Flowers logic that you don't necessarily need to do anything now uh, because the end result is determined, uh, should just, you know, sit somewhere, I guess, and wait for deliverance. But that's not quite what happens. Uh, skipping ahead to verse 29, we read, then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, 
and they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Um, so what I want to bring out here is Paul um, is saying to the soldiers, hey, if this event happens, you won't be saved. And obviously he sees no contradiction in previously having told them, no, you are predestined to be saved. We're all going to get out of this alive and they will eventually do it. But at the same time, same time he has to tell them, you need to do this or you won't be saved. Um, and that gets into um, us. Um, Leighton might want to think that um, if the ends are predestined, well, it doesn't really matter what I do, but no, it does matter what you do. Those are the means by which these things come about. And if it were possible that we could break God's decree, then um, the person wouldn't be saved. It's not, uh, we don't believe in the open theist God that, oh, one plan has failed. So now I guess I'll have to create a new plan to save this person. No, um, it's not just that that person was predestined to be saved, period. It's that person was predestined to be saved by you going and handing a gospel tract or talking to them, whatever, whatever the uh, case may be. Um, Paul has no problem uh, speaking this way with means saying, hey, you need to do this or we won't be saved. Uh, and that gets into sort of the fatalism. Leighton says he doesn't understand why um, uh, saying that the means are predestined wouldn't lead to fatalism. Well, fatalism by definition is, it doesn't matter what I do, the ends are going to happen regardless. And we're saying, no, uh, if we don't use these means, the ends won't happen. Uh, we need to use them. And uh, that's important. Um, that is why we go out and evangelize. If we didn't go out and evangelize, that person wouldn't be saved. Um, now, we don't know when we go out and evangelize if anybody will be saved or not. It's true. Uh, but I don't think that fundamentally changes anything. Uh, I don't know. Did you have any uh, thoughts on that, uh, Dan? No, that's a great point. Um, and I, while you were talking, I, I whipped out our confession. Um, in chapter 5, paragraph 2 on divine providence, it says, Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly so that there is not anything befalls any by chance or without his providence. Yet by the same providence, he ordaineth them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. So there is this where God not only determines what's going to happen, but there are things that God has determined in terms of means that necessitate what will happen. So, for instance, if you look at Romans 1, 16 through 17, um, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the justice shall live, or the just, or the righteous shall live by faith. So the, the means by which we are saved is the gospel. And this is the means that God has ordained to come to pass, and no one is going to be saved outside of that means. Um, and so I think that's where that um, that secondary cause would fall out of necessity, because it must this must happen in order for salvation to come to pass. It's not going to be any other way. God has determined it to be so. 
Um, and I think what Leighton does is he tries to say that theistic fatalism and Calvinism are basically the same thing and that at the core they are exactly the same. Um, he notes that it appears to me that the only real difference between a theistic fatalist and a compatibilistic Calvinist is that the latter refuses to accept the practical implications of their own claims in order to remain consistent with clear teaching of the Bible. In both theistic fatalism and Calvinism, if God sovereignly decrees for me to go witness to my neighbor, he will give me the effectual desire to go witness to my neighbor. If my neighbor is one of his elect, and God has unchangeably elected for me to be the means by uh, which my neighbor comes to Christ, then logically I would have to believe that God will give me the effectual desire and the opportunity to carry out, carry out his preordained plan, i.e. God-ordained means. If that effectual desire never comes, then why wouldn't I rightly conclude it ultimately was not God's preordained plan for me to be the means through which my neighbor would come to Christ? So he, he's basically, it's almost like this, um, essentially a hyper-Calvinist. He, he's almost going down that road. Like if you are a Calvinist, it, you must believe in some kind of hyper-Calvinism because it's, it's fatalist, so who cares? Why, why should we even evangelize? Um, but we believe that the, God has given us means in order to bring about his purposes that he has ordained and that he is behind um, and that we are to move um, and, and use those means to bring about his ends. So, yeah, you're right. Um, there, there are means that are absolutely um, that absolutely necessitate um, things happen in order for uh, B to happen. A must take place first. Um, and, and that is not inconsistent with our worldview at all. Um, it's consistent with our historical confession. It's consistent with scripture. Um, another place, if you look in Habakkuk, book of Habakkuk, chapter one, um, Habakkuk is complaining to God um, about uh, destruction and violence um, that is uh, coming before him. And in verse six, he says, the, this is the Lord speaking to Habakkuk. Um, he says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Um, so we, we see God working through means, not just through um, some kind of ordained um, fatalism where we don't do anything, but means that have real implications in the world and that uh, require people to act. Um, and God even working through evil men. And I, and I think we'll touch it. We might touch upon that here soon in, in the article, but, um, but yeah, so that, that's a great point, Sean. Oh, thanks. And um, sort of going off uh, what you just quoted from Leighton, um, he seems, he seems to be concerned about essentially God's, um, God's secret will, what we call as God's secret will, which is the unfolding of his, um, his uh, decree in time yeah that's a good um, point and that's that seems to be driving whether or not he would do something because it's like oh well it must not have been god's will for me to evangelize because i didn't evangelize and, but that goes back to the first objection where we're not really we're, in a sense we're not concerned about doing god's secret will we're we're concerned about doing god's revealed will Right. We are concerned about reaching the lost because it's good, because we're commanded to, out of love, these, these sorts of things. And by trying to look to God's secret will, which 
we don't know. There's there's no way to know that, um, at least in this life, um, until it's it's gone by, obviously. And even then, we don't know all the implications of what's happened and and uh, et cetera. But um, the so it's a conflation. He seems to be now more concerned about like doing God's secret will, and that's just as a Calvinist, that's not what we're interested in doing. We honor God by obeying His commands. Um, not by trying to figure out what his secret will was. Um, and, and that's going to lead you into some, as a Calvinist, it'll lead you into some massive problems. Um, and even um, as a synergist, because there's often times where God does orchestrate events and synergists have to admit this, um, that would normally go against his prescribed will, what he's, he's commanded. For example, he's he commanded that his son should be put to death and he ordained the events uh, that um, brought that about. Now, obviously it's a sin to put an innocent man to death and Jesus Christ was an innocent man. Um, so rather than the, uh, anybody, including the synergist, trying to sit around and guess, okay, what's God's secret will here? Is it, uh, should uh, Jesus be put to death or not? The answer is, at one, in one hand, no, and on another hand, yes. But from our perspective, we would say that it was wrong for them who put Jesus to death to have done it, and they should not have done it, even if it was God's um, secret will, um, his decretive will that that happened. Um, so from our perspective, if we're trying to sit down and determine, okay, what am I going to do in my life? Am I going to evangelize, whatever? Um, you need to look at what God has told us uh, explicitly, his, his prescription of what, how we should be living our lives. You can't be sitting around guessing what, um, guessing, uh, what his secret will is. You're not going to figure it out. And that's not what he's told us to obey anyway. He's told us to obey his prescriptive will. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I guess it, it does kind of seem like Leighton is trying to pull back the curtain where we don't really have that knowledge. You know, what, okay, if God did this, then why would he do this? Well, we, we don't know um, the, the mind of God. His, his mind is infinite. We, we have no idea what his, all of his secret will is. We only know what he's revealed to us in Scripture. And you're right. We should be obeying that which he has given us specifically. Um, and that's why we evangelize. We, we don't try to necessarily work out all of the, um, all of the, um, the man behind the curtain issues, if you will, for lack of a better term. Um, while we, we certainly try our best based on what's revealed, um, we, we can't fully do that. Um, and, and then I think where Leighton really goes wrong um, with this, I mean, he's, I think he's wrong in trying to conflate fatalism with compatibilistic Calvinism. But um, if you go down a little ways in the article, he says, uh, after kind of summarizing God, God not only ordaining the end, but the means in, in talking about fatalism versus, and Calvinism, he says, think about this. If any particular Calvinist chooses to disobey God and not proclaim the gospel when impressed to do so by the Holy Spirit, who is really responsible for that choice to disobey? And I think that's a key, um, a key topic that he brings up here. Um, really, who is the author of evil, I think, is really what he's getting at. Um, and that's a, 
that's a problem. Obviously, we as Calvinists would say that God is not the author of evil, that evil only comes from the creature. Um, uh, and not, and just because God determines something to happen, say, God, so let's take the crucifixion of Christ, for instance. God decreed that that would happen. Is God the one responsible um, for what those evil men did to Christ, for the Romans whipping Christ, or for Pilate? Um, unjustly condemning Christ to death. Um, is God ultimately responsible for that in the sense that he is the author of it? Or um, is God the mover and the shaker behind it while keeping himself free of, of guilt and um, culpability, if you will? Um, so I think that's a very um, important question um, that, uh, that Leighton brings up. It also gets to the, uh, the fact that why God does something and why man does something is for completely different reasons. Right. God, yes. Um, God um, having his son put to death is, is good in the sense of um, it's for our benefit. Um, so his reason for that event is good. The reason for say Pontius Pilate is, is wrong. He's having Jesus put to death uh, essentially because he, uh, political pressure and he doesn't want to upset the Jews um, and that's obviously a sinful reason so when Leighton asks who is really responsible for that choice to disobey and he actually goes a little bit further um, he says later you are left with a perfect excuse for your inactivity and disobedience to God's command God unchangeably ordained the means, or in this case, my lack of participation in those means. I'm sorry, that's, that's not an excuse, actually, because the reason God did it is for completely different reasons than what you did it for. God actually told you to do something, um, and you didn't listen to him, so you will be held accountable for that. And just because God orchestrated events and you fulfilled the desire of your heart um, and doing that doesn't excuse you um, any more than it excuses uh, Pontius Pilate because Pontius Pilate did it for sinful reasons. Right, yeah, and there seems to be this, this mindset, and, and I think it goes back, to again, to um, the, the free will aspect of this. Um, it, it's assumed that if God has determined something to happen, whatever it might be, therefore... Um, that person cannot be held responsible for their actions because their will must have been violated. There is no real choice in the matter. Mm. Um, and we would say, um, as biblical Calvinists, we would say, well, obviously we don't have libertarian free will in the sense that we can choose anything outside of God's power or his decree, um, but we don't believe that we are puppets. Um, and James Dolezal, I, I pulled up um, it's his article from... Uh, the Journal of IRBS Theological Seminary on, uh, it's called Agency, Concurrence, and Evil, a Study in Divine Providence, um, where he, he talks about this to some extent. Um, he says that puppets are not agents, but merely patients, receivers of an action, but not doers in their own right. Angels and men would only be puppets if they were pure patients and not also agents. Being caused by another is not what renders a puppet a puppet, but rather being a mere patient, not a non-agent. But the puppet objection also says too little inasmuch as God's activity to the creature is far more 
interior and pervasive than those of a puppet master to a puppet. Puppet masters only push and pull an independently existing object, whereas with respect to God, humans are not independently existing beings. He, he not only moves them, but makes them to be at every moment of their existence. Um, so there, there's this, I think, misunderstanding of who we are in relation to God, or are we just puppets with no minds of our own, no wills? No, we, we believe we have wills. We can make choices, real choices, um, based on what our desires are and in accordance with God's decree. Uh, but there seems to be this idea implicit in this question, who is really responsible for the choice to obey? Um, and based on, on latent theology, that if God has predetermined something, we can't be responsible for what he's predetermined. If he's pre predetermined for someone to be murdered and that person commits a murder, that person couldn't have been responsible. It had to be God's fault if you mm -hmm. say that. And I, I, he cannot get yeah. out of that mindset. Yeah. And it, it does really do, it does overlook basically the role of man's will in all this. Um, I, I am, uh, if I, if I did actually commit murder, um, assuming I wasn't a Christian, um, that would be a, a result of my fallen nature, but it's also what I desired. I desired to do it. Right. Um, and God, um, may bring that event, um, about to pass, um, for some other reason, uh, that would be good, but ultimately it's still my desire that's done it god hasn't necessarily made me do it um he hasn't changed my desire necessarily now obviously we do believe in judicial hardening and right god yeah make may make someone worse than you they see that before. in pharaoh exactly although even that i would say that's more of a, a removal of god's common graces as it is in uh an active hardening but regardless on how exactly you fall out on that it's still the man who desires to do it. Um, it's not doing violence to the will, as uh, the 1689 uh, uses that phrase. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, we believe they work hand in hand, um, ultimate, mm -hmm. with God being the one who has determined what will happen based on his decree. Um, and Leighton, I think he, he kind of goes on on this aspect of who is really responsible. And he talks about... Um, Later on, he says, quote, granted, someone, but not necessarily you, has to share the gospel with the elect in order for them to be saved. If God has ordained you to be that evangelist, then he will give you the effectual desire to do so. Thus, if you refrain from doing so, you could rightly conclude that you weren't meant to be the means for that person's salvation. You are left with a perfect excuse for your inactivity and disobedience to God's command. God unchangeably ordained the means, or in this case, my lack of participation in those means, end quote. So he's basically saying that if God really determined what's going to happen and you didn't do what he said, then you actually can go to God on that day. And it, you have a perfect excuse. You could go to God and say, look, Lord, I didn't do what you said. That's your fault. You ordained that it would happen. I, I I, I had no other choice. I, I couldn't do anything else otherwise. Um, and that's a real problem. Um, this really, I think, shows somewhat of his, obviously, his anthropology and what he believes about man uh, in relation to God. But it, it, really, um, it, it really doesn't attack what we believe, I would say.
um, because we, we believe that we are responsible for what we do. Um, but it's based on our desires and it's based on what God has revealed, not just based on, uh, it, it isn't based on God's decree at all in terms of our responsibility to do something. Um, but yeah, the, there seems to be this, this mindset that God has ordained it and you cannot be responsible for it instead of seeing yes. them as working together. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's a tough question and we're, you know, I'm not going to pretend that this is not an easy topic. It's very difficult. And I, Christians have struggled throughout the years with this topic. Um, you know, it, cause it, on the surface, this is what you're left with. If you're not willing to let the scriptures speak for themselves and you just tried to take it based on, on what you think it should mean, this is what you're going to be left with. You're going to be left with, well, I, I guess I, I can get away with it or I really am not responsible for what happened. Um, but again, and, and Leighton is assuming that we really don't have any will in the matter. We don't really, it, uh, given our worldview, that we really don't have any um, desires in play here. Um, and, and that's that's a problem. That's a problem. And he's really saying that we're, we are implying that God is the author of sin with our worldview. Yeah. Um, I do want to circle back um, to uh, love now, as I, I think it's, it's sure. um, interesting, because essentially Leighton said, well, the reason why we should go and evangelize is because of love, love of our neighbor. But then now he's saying, well, if I thought Calvinism is true, I'd basically never evangelize because um, I could safely assume it wasn't God's will. And my question is, does that sound loving? Because it doesn't sound loving to me to basically say, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, I see my neighbor over there. He's headed to hell. But, you know, I won't witness to him. God will get him somehow, someday, you know? Like, that doesn't feel like loving your neighbor or, or sacrificially loving him in any way. Um, so I don't, if, if Leighton were to say that, yes, love should be our, our primary motivator, and then at the back end say, eh, you know, if I were a Calvinist, I wouldn't, I wouldn't love my neighbor essentially, or wouldn't act like it. That's, that's, that feels very weird to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, it almost sounds like a false dichotomy is creating like you either, if you're, if you're a Calvinist, um, then you really can't have a love for people because mm -hmm. you're acting based on law. Um, and, and you're not really acting based on love for your neighbor as I would. Um, putting myself in, in latent shoes um, as a um, as a provisionist so yeah um, that that's again that's another problem that he has he, he creates he creates these at least in this sense he's creating this false dichotomy um, and and which completely misrepresents um, our view of what it means to evangelize at all we, we absolutely believe we should we're not hyper Calvinists <laughs> We believe that we and and the early Baptists also were very much concerned about Calvin or um, about evangelism um, and establishing churches and making that a priority. Um, so there, this is um, honestly, I, I think, misrepresentation of our position. If you're saying that we're doing it for love, um, or, or doing it just based on a law and not love, yeah. Um, and then kind of 
this is towards the end of the article. He has a section called losing the need for persuasion and evangelizing the lost. Um, he says the English word persuasion all its forms these three times often more than the word predestination. Yet it seems the latter receives a thousand times more attention. Persuasion is at the very heart of evangelism. He says, I wonder, I have to wonder if the lack of emphasis on this biblical doctrine has led, or he says lead or led to the decline in baptisms and evangelistic efforts among evangelicals over the last few decades. Um, so I think this is another false dichotomy he's creating here. He's trying to say that we're not really concerned with persuasion, but uh, we're concerned about God's uh, predestination or his decree, and therefore that appears to have led to um, a decline in church memberships, which, which I think is a very weak argument because, again, I, no one argues that. Um, we believe in evangelism. We believe we should, as the church, be uh, spreading the gospel. Um, but uh, we and we also believe in persuasion again, going back mm -hmm. to what are the means that God has ordained? God has exactly. ordained the preaching of His word, which requires exegetical methodology to, to go through those passages to teach the gospel in an efficient way, um, in a way that is persuasive, knowing that God is the one behind it because he's the one who ordained the means in the first place. And he said that he will work efficiently in these means. This is the means that he's given and he will save his elect. Um, so this, this is, I, I think, a very weak argument um, against the Calvinistic position as it relates to evangelism. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. Um, he seems to recognize that we, we say that we want to use means, but then treat us as if we don't use means whatsoever. And we would both recognize that persuasion is a means by which someone will come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, we don't see that as incompatible. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess it, it is just another, I guess Leighton just does see us, even though we say we want to use means, he thinks that we just, in the end, don't actually think we need to use means. Yeah, yeah, I guess it, it does, given what he's said already at the beginning of the article about um, God ordaining the, not only ends, but also the means. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and, and then... In his final couple of paragraphs here, he says, if, if God, through some kind of inner working of irresistible grace, is going to convince his unconditionally chosen elect to believe the gospel, regardless of your effort, then is there any rational reason to persist all day long in attempted persuade the loss? And I think we've, we've touched on this already. Absolutely, we believe, because, mm -hmm. yes, we love our neighbor, but God has also commanded us to go and preach the gospel to all nations as the church— we are to spread his word or to love our neighbors. Um, so all, all of that is there. Um, we, we don't throw that out um, being Calvinists. Um, and he says, what, finally, why not simply proclaim the truth of the gospel and leave the rest up to God? That is not Paul's approach to evangelism. Should it be ours? Now, again, creating a false dichotomy here. It's either Paul's approach, which was, as he just mentioned, persuasion or uh or just leaving it up to God as Calvinists allegedly believe, um, which is more of a hyper-Calvinist view, I believe. But yeah, so I mean, that concludes the article. Um, 
but I guess some closing thoughts, like how, why are these, why is this, um, these topics that we're talking about, why are they so important? Um, what, what is the, the big idea, if you will? What's the point? Why is it important? Well, he does, he does at least hit on something that I, I do see in a, uh, a lot of people where they are confused about where God's sovereignty meets uh, human responsibility. Um, so in a sense, it is, it is very good for us to talk these things out. And I know for myself, before I was a Calvinist, I would have had very similar questions. Um, so it's, it's very good to go into the, the details, but, um, I would like to say to our listeners that even if you don't necessarily understand how both can be true, if you do see that both are true in the scriptures, that, uh, God does elect and that, um, we still need to go out and evangelize and use means. Otherwise these people won't be saved. Um, that you should continue to go out and evangelize. Um, you, God will lead us into more and more truth. And I, I would ask that you uh, pray for leading that truth into that truth. But if um, you do see these two things as true and you understand that the scriptures are true in of themselves, um, you, yeah, even if you don't understand exactly how it works out, you've got to, um, you've got to take it on faith that that is what um, God would have us to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and this has, this has many implications for not only the doctrine of man and how man relates to God, but just the doctrine of God in general. This is going to the heart of who God is. If, if you're denying that God does not have a decree as Calvinists believe, um, that, that, that implies something about uh, who God is and how he, he has uh, chosen to act, if you will. Um, so it, it really goes to having a correct theology, which then leads to a correct doxology. How we live is going to be dictated what we believe about God, what he has revealed in his word about himself. Um, so if you don't believe that God has um, chosen uh, people in this way or the, that God predetermines these things to happen and that man has a libertarian free will, that's going to affect your view of salvation. That's going to affect... Um, your view of, um, of how people act in the world as it relates to God. I mean, it's, it has numerous implications. Um, so what we believe about God is absolutely important. And that's why um, our particular Baptist forefathers were so um, careful in ensuring that they were clear. Um, and not just our particular Baptist forefathers, but the reformed um, in general were were always careful or tried to be as best as they could, I guess, to ensure what they said about God was correct, that they were being clear on what they believed about scripture, the doctrine of God, um, and how Christians are to relate to the church, things like that, because that this, these things had salvific implications, especially as it relates to um, justification, the doctrine of scripture, uh, baptism, things of that nature. Um, so what, what we believe about God does matter, um, at, as opposed to our, um, evangelistic, uh, evangelical, uh, environment today in the church. Um, it absolutely matters. We have to, we have to be diligent in our study of God, um, 
so we can avoid things like this. See, these things are not easy necessarily to, to study. Um, they're difficult. We have to wrestle with them. Um, but the more we grow in our knowledge of the scriptures, um, in our knowledge of God, we'll be able to combat these, um, these falsehoods. Um, and, and they, sometimes they can be subtle. Sometimes they can be obvious. Um, but the more we, we immerse ourselves in the scriptures and in reading good books, uh, reading church history, um, we will be able to combat these things. Amen. Well, that is all we have today. Um, kind of the format we're looking at to do with this podcast, we're going to try and do um, at least one episode um, a week. Uh, we're going to try and stick it for, for Saturdays. Um, and, and that could change depending on, um, you know, sit, life situations that arise, but that, that is our goal. We'd like to keep it at uh, an episode at least once a week. Um, and we thank you for listening today and, um, we will see you on the next show. See ya.